We all have how do I questions. How do I tie a tie? How do I survive a shark attack? How do I make French toast? How do I lose weight? But some questions are more meaningful than others. How do I deal with difficult people? How do I overcome fear? How do I handle stress? How do I hear God's voice? So where do we turn? To the one who has all the answers. We'll tackle some of our biggest questions and discover God's best plan. Why? Because we all want to know, how do I? Well, good morning, saints. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. We had a lot of uh, how do I topics up there on the screen. I got the fun one. I didn't get how to deal with difficult people. I'm, I need to listen to that one, right? Uh, I got the great one. I got how do I walk in grace? Yeah. How do I walk in grace? And I actually believe if I learn how to walk in grace, then all those other how-tos will flow as well. Right. So um, this is a very freeing message. I listened to uh, a lot of different preachers. Um, one of them starts every service with, are you ready for the word? Another one starts with, I like to start with something funny. Those two preachers put in a nutshell how to walk in grace. Grounded in the word, relaxed in the living it out. So that's what I want to bring to you this morning. thought I'd start with just defining what grace is so that we are all on the same page. We say, walk in grace. What is grace? Well, normally we hear that grace is the unmerited and undeserved favor of God, and that's correct. It is undeserved. Can't do anything to get it. In fact, if you do anything to get it, you, uh, you eliminate it. It's no, more, it's no longer grace. You disqualify it. Uh, unmerited. In fact, the only thing that qualifies you for grace is your disqualifications. So it's, you know, how can you lose, right? The weaker you are, the stronger he is in you. And so grace is the, it's not what. This was kind of life-changing for me. It's not what is grace, it's who is grace. Because grace is the empowering presence of the Lord, standing right next to us, shining out from within us, being all around us. Grace is Jesus Christ. We have this triune God, and this triune God loves us. And God the Father is good. And God the Son is grace. And God the Holy Spirit is power. And together, we change the world. We turn it upside down. That's what grace is. So how do we walk in it? Well, that's... I'm going to show you a video. A YouTube video. Hope that doesn't offend anyone. Uh, my husband and I were hanging out at the house the other day, and uh, I don't know what I was doing. I was probably being Martha and doing something, and he was, you know, he was watching YouTube videos. And but but I walk in, and uh, he's he's got some tears running down his face, and I'm thinking, what in the world? What are you watching? He says he actually called me in. He said, come in, you got to see this. And I was like, okay, w what are you watching? He said, I'm watching these uh, these YouTube uh, videos of celebrities who surprise their fans. So, you know, some fan is just doing something usually related to that celebrity, and then the celebrity shows up. And uh, it was funny because uh, their reactions were almost always, oh, my God. 
And I said to Larry, I said, well, what, is, what is this stirring in you? And he says, well, I'm just picturing that, that you know, I'm God's fan, and he's showing up, and what would my reaction be? Of course, our reaction would be, oh, my God, right? So I started laughing. Of course, he was, he was a little more intense on it. And as we, as we let it roll, this one came up. And I want to show it to you this morning. By the time I was done watching that, I was crying too, because it's just such an amazing picture of what it, what it looks like to walk in grace. Now, I've watched this a lot more times than you've gotten to watch it, so that there's lots of things in this video that I hope to present to you from scripture, scripture, but first, to just get it in our heads. So we have to make sure we understand that Whitney Houston is Jesus. <laughs> And we're that other person, I don't even, I don't know who it is, and the rest of it's in, in another language, so I, I don't know. But she's standing there, and it's her moment on the stage. She's probably nervous. She's practiced. She, she knows what she wants to deliver. And she's feeling ready, and she starts. But then when, when Whitney Houston walks in, 
the applause from the audience, right? And she's like, what is that? She, she knows that's, that's, for, that's for a d deeper thing. That's for something else. That's for someone else. And Whitney comes and stands next to her. Now here's the part that all the other videos didn't show or didn't do. In the other videos, they would go, ah, and be scared, or they'd hug, or they'd, or they'd fall down, or they'd, you know, whatever. They would have these, all these reactions. In this video, they go in stride. If I could switch to a football metaphor, uh, you know, when the quarterback throws a pass just right, and you're running, you don't have to stop and catch it, you just get it and go. And you score the touchdown. That's who, that's who we are as people who walk in grace. Jesus steps out on the stage with us. We don't, we don't stop. We get excited. We get stronger. We know now not only is the, is the words to this song or the part of this song that I need to sing in me, but it's next to me. It's, it's empowering me. It's standing with me. It's very visible. It's very tangible. And I don't shrink back. After she gets over the shock, that microphone comes right up to her face. And then the beauty of Jesus is he lets her take the lead. He lets her sing. He matches her. I'm saying he. The metaphor gets back and forth in my head. But she, Whitney, lets her sing. She matches her. She's got her arm around her. She's singing, I will always love you. Both are singing that song. I will always love you. Jesus is saying, I will always love you, regardless of your mistakes. In fact, I don't even see your mistakes. I've already paid for them. They're under my blood. Now all I see is your presence on the stage and what can flow out of you to the world around you. So that's walking in grace. So as we go through today, I might come back to that video so that you can... Uh, have a picture in your head. So what does walking in grace look like in scripture? Let's, let's look at Jesus. He's, you know, the one who did it best, right? It is himself, of, yes, he is grace. But when he took on the form of a man, he had to stay in connection with God the Father and the Holy Spirit in order to walk out grace on the earth. And we see him in all sorts of situations. Usually we think of being graceful is I have to be nice. Uh, or as we talk about it, like when we're walking, if we're walking graceful, we don't you know, trip and fall at the graduation line. So we've got all these pictures in our mind of what it means to be graceful. And Jesus shows us lots of different situations. He, de he defends the weak. The woman at the, uh, the, not the woman at the well, well, she would work too, but uh, the woman that was caught in adultery, right? The, the the teachers of the law bring her and they throw her at his feet and say, you know, should we stone her? That's what Moses would say. We should stone her. And I, I like to envision Jesus just kind of stepping in front of her. I mean, they're ready to stone her. Expecting that that will be his answer. Even though they're testing him, they can't see how he could say anything else and still uphold the law. So he has to say that in their minds. But not Jesus. He walks in grace. So he, he protects her. And he says, if you don't have any sin, go ahead, throw those. And then he writes. 
on the stones of the temple floor with his finger. Which we've seen that before. Writing on stones with the finger of God brought us Ten Commandments. Jesus represents that in grace, protects her, and they go away. Or what about when he overturns the tables? That doesn't sound very graceful, but he's protecting. He's protecting the house of the Lord. Grace doesn't mean weak. He steps in and he protects the house of the Lord and he protects the poor. What was happening is the poor people would come in to buy their, their sacrifice and they were, you know, they had the money exchange a little messed up. They were up in the price. And Jesus is just like, uh-uh. You're not going to prevent the poor from coming to me. Or what about when his feet get anointed in the house of Simon? What an awkward situation. Here he is in Simon's house. <coughs> Pretty important guy. And in walks this woman who the rest of them don't respect. And she anoints his feet. Jesus defends her. Has to be awkward. How does she get the freedom to just walk into Simon's house? She's obviously been there before. She comes in. She comes to his feet, anoints him, and he doesn't rebuke her. Instead, he lifts her up and says, I've come for the sick, not the healthy. This is our Jesus walking in grace. But there's others. He calls Peter out of the boat. That's an act of grace. It's also a good lesson for us in how to walk in grace. But he, he lets Peter come out. Peter says, hey, if that's you, let me do that. Jesus is awesome. Come on. It's almost like he wasn't expecting that. He wasn't expecting one of them to want to be like him in that manner. But he says, come on. And it's interesting in that Peter does walk on water. I mean, we give him a hard time for sinking, but he walked on the water. He does get out of the boat. But I would remind you that he doesn't think about himself. He doesn't, he doesn't sit on the edge of that boat and go, okay, maybe I could do that. He says, if that's you, then let your power flow in me. Let me get out of the boat and walk with you. He sees Jesus. And Jesus sees his faith. So that's the first step in how. All right, so how do we do this? Now, grace, grace also is the number five in Scripture. Uh, he, the Hebrew language has letters, numbers, word pictures, and uh, musical notes, colors. It's a, a layered language. And the note for grace is five, which is interesting. You gave me number five microphone this morning. It's hesed or hey. It's the root word for grace. And the word picture is the window. It's the window of opportunity. It's the window that we uh, look out to give us the perspective on everything else. It's the window. It's also the only commandment that comes with a promise. It's honor your father and mother, and you'll have long life. Look out this window. Walk in grace. Absorb grace. Have your viewpoint be of grace, and you will honor those around you, and you will live long. Peter had a good opinion of God. That's number one. I got five reasons and five results. I don't usually do it this way, but I thought, why not? Grace is number five. Let's do it this way. Five reasons. Because there's so many. I had to start, you know, like, okay. So five ways 
to walk in grace. The first one is to have a good opinion of God. Peter had a good opinion of God. He knew Jesus was not going to call him out on the water if he was going to die. He had walked with Jesus. He had lived with Jesus. He was in awe of Jesus. He'd made mistakes. He had a good opinion of God. Peter says, or God had a good opinion of, of Peter as well. Jesus says, come on. And then when Peter starts to sink, and your English Bible says, oh, you have little, little faith. You know, or what, you know. We know he, he looked away and we had fear. You have to go to the how to overcome fear one for that. All right, so he looked away, but Jesus says to him, he, he says, Jesus, save me. Jesus picks him up out of the water. And then he has a conversation with him standing on the water. He has a good opinion of Peter. And he knows that Peter, with his eyes on him, is everything that he wants him to be. He is supernatural because he's connected to Jesus. So as, Jesus, as Peter sees the goodness of God, he has a good opinion. He remembers that um, God the Father pronounces himself at the giving of the Ten Commandments as, I am good. God defines himself as, I am good. Jesus, uh, Peter looks at him and says, he's good. I'm, I'm sure this all happens in a split second, right? He doesn't have to make that decision. Then he knows Jesus is good. So when he sees Jesus and they get over the fear of him being a ghost, his next thought, well, that's not a ghost. That's really Jesus. He's good. He will empower me. He will let me be like him. So Peter sees the goodness of God. And Jesus, in return, isn't looking at, uh, he sees Peter's faith. He has a good opinion of him. There's another place where we can be absolutely positive that God has a good opinion of us. And that's because he sent the Holy Spirit to us. This is in John 14. And it says, as the Spirit has come, I think I actually have this one on. Do we have John 14? All right, keep going down. That's, that's 1 through 3. It's uh, John 16. I'm sorry, John 16. That's later. We don't have that one. Okay, John 16 is where the whole, Jesus is about to die. And he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to be better for you. Ah, there we go. <laughs> it's to your advantage that I go away. It's better if I go away because the Holy Spirit's going to come. And what's the Holy Spirit's job? To convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. But then we can't stop there because that could be confusing. Because how can he convict us of sin and righteousness at the same time? He goes on and he says, I'm going to convict, you, convict the world of sin because they believe not on me. So the Holy Spirit is going to come and he is going to walk around the earth... He is here already walking around the earth looking for lost people, convicting them of their sin and their need for a Savior, and then bringing them into the fold. He's drawing them to Jesus. And then he's talking to his disciples, and he says, you, he's going to convict of righteousness. What is Jesus' opinion of you? You are righteous. He never questions that. Why? Because he died for it. He died for it. He gave it to you. You are righteous. 
The Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of that because we need to be reminded of it pretty frequently. Constantly. We are naturally, in our, in our natural minds, we are sin conscious. We ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We see where we fall short and we bring ourselves under our own condemnation. But the Holy Spirit comes by and says, whoop, stop that. I have a good opinion of you. You are righteous. Don't forget it. And then he reminds the devil that he's lost. Jesus has a good opinion of us. So we walk in grace by remembering that God has a good opinion of us and by us remembering that God is good. No matter what's happening in our lives, God is good. The second way is to visit the throne of grace frequently. In Hebrews chapter 4, it talks to us about the throne of grace being available to us. And it tells us to boldly approach. Don't like wimp out and don't come at all and don't kind of crawl up and say, excuse me, boldly approach the throne of grace. And then gives us a reason why. And it's because we have a high priest, but we don't have any ordinary high priest. We have a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Meaning we have a high priest who operates under grace. We don't have a high priest after the order of Aaron. Aaron is the high priest who was at the beginning of the law when Moses and Aaron were together when the, the law was given and Aaron was chosen to be the high priest. So under that priesthood, our behavior, our doing, our performance was important. And when we failed, we brought a sheep. But under Melchizedek, under Jesus, our sheep has already been provided. Enter into the room where grace is given freely so that we can continuously be reminded of who he is and who we are. The third way to walk in grace is to not forget how forgiven we are. This is 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, this is a long passage, but I'm actually going to take the time to read it. I think it's going to be on the screen as well. This is from the uh, Passion Translation. This letter is from Simon Peter, a loving servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to those who have been given a faith as equally precious as ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and perfect peace cascade over you as you live in the rich knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. As a result of this, he has given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price, so that through the power of these tremendous promises, you can experience partnership with the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are of the world. So devote yourselves to lavishly supplementing your faith with goodness, and to goodness add understanding, and to understanding add the strength of self-control. And to self-control, add patient endurance, and to patient endurance, add godliness, and to godliness, add mercy towards your brothers and sisters, and to mercy towards others, add unending love. Since these virtues are already planted deep within, and you possess them in abundant supply, they will keep you from being ineffective 
are inactive or fruitless in your pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ more intimately. But if anyone lacks these things, he is blind, constantly closing his eyes to the mysteries of our faith and forgetting his innocence for his past sins have been washed away. For this reason, beloved ones, be eager to confirm and validate that God has invited you to salvation and claimed you as his own. If you do these things, you will never stumble. As a result, the kingdom's gates will open wide to you as God choreographs your triumphant entrance into his eternal kingdom, the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. I won't hesitate to continually remind you of these truths, even though you are aware of them and are well established in the present measure of truth you have already embraced. As long as I live, I will continue to awaken within you this reminder. Since our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has clearly revealed to that my departure is near. Indeed, I am passionate to share these things with you so that you will always remember them after my exodus from this life. Peter's about to die, and he wants to remind us over and over that we are forgiven, that we are righteous. This is probably the strongest one. We need to be established in the fact that we are forgiven. When we forget that we are forgiven, our faith becomes ineffective. Now, this was the Passion Translation. It says we continuously close our eyes to the mysteries of our faith. In the NIV, it says we become ineffective. We fall from grace would be how we would say it. Actually, most people think falling from grace is when we do something wrong, but I would propose that falling from grace actually happens way before that. We do something wrong because we have fallen from grace, and we've fallen from grace when we have forgotten who we are, when we've forgotten how forgiven we are. Because when we carry around this consciousness of sin, then we become defeated. But when we carry around and are established in the righteousness of Christ that's been given to us, then we pick up the microphone and we sing with Jesus right beside us. And we walk in grace. We can't forget that we're forgiven, and yet we're constantly forgetting. But that goes back to the second reason we have the Holy Spirit continuously convicting us of our righteousness. Peter says he wants to remind us constantly. The Holy Spirit says he will convict us. That's a stronger word. Not just remind, but convict us. We spend a lot of our time feeling convicted of sin. Sin that's already been paid for. Sin that's already been put away. Sin that has already been made of no effect to us. Where we need to be focusing and be established in is our righteousness. And the only thing that can take that from us is to forget. Kind of like the Lion King, right? Remember who you are. Right? Oh, what's his name? Simba. He forgets who he is. So he plays this pretend life of no worries. Right? I'm making this up as I go along. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's like, no worries. I got this. But really, he's unhappy. And he's searching for meaning and he's searching and he feels this great loss of who he was supposed to be and then Rafiki is that his name <laughs> yeah come on wax him on the head right that's the Holy Spirit convicting him <laughs> you're righteous then he takes him to the river he says look deep 
And at first he doesn't see it, remember? He doesn't see it. He's like, guys, it's me. No, look deeper. Look deeper. You have this treasure, this light in your earthen vessel. You have the spirit of God. You are a child of the king. You have his righteousness. This is who you are. And then, of course, dad comes in the clouds, right? And he's Simba. Remember who you are. Right? In the end of the conversation, what does Simba do? Gets up, picks himself up, goes home and reigns. And replaces the bad king. I can't remember his name. Scar. Scar, right. Ooh, what a good name. Don't forget. Don't forget how forgiven you are and don't forget your rightful place in the kingdom. The fourth one is to walk free of the law. Walk free of the law. The law is the Old Testament covenant. And it is given to us, according to Galatians chapter 3, it is given to us as a schoolmaster, as a tutor, as a guardian, someone or something to guide us to Christ. We have to remember that the law isn't given now or then to teach us how to live. The people in Scripture who lived before the law, they knew how to live. They knew right from wrong. Joseph knew right from wrong. He knew to run from uh, Potiphar's wife. Uh, it wasn't taught, given to teach us how to live. It was given to bring us to Christ. In the Old Testament, it was given to remind them that they need a Savior because they sin. And they need a sheep. In the New Testament, so if we, if we read it in the Old Testament, we read the Law of Moses, which brings condemnation. There's a glory in it because it brings us to Christ. But if we read it unveiled, then we see it as a tutor bringing us to Jesus. Not to an awareness of our sin, but to Jesus. And so if you look at the Hebrew Ten Commandments, uh, the Ten Commandments in Hebrew instead of in English, they are amazing. Because they are saying to us, this is who I am for you. And this is then who you will be in the world. Remember, he gives the Ten Commandments verbally first, before they're written down. And he's inviting these people the Israelites, to be his priests to the world forever. That was the plan. And he says to them, the Ten Commandments. They're not known as that yet. He's just speaking them. And in Hebrew, they're in the positive. And the first four talk about who he is. The fifth one is the role of grace. And the last ones are how we live in the world. So if you think of the Ten Commandments, he says, I am the Lord your God who delivered you. I am worthy of filling up all of your house. Bet, the second letter is bet, your house. I am worthy of filling up your whole house so that there will be no idols to come between us. I am the Lord your God who delivered you. Fill your house with me. The third one is gemel, or lift up. It's a camel, is a picture. Lift up, lift up the heavy burden. What's the heavy burden that we carry? If you say sin, you're wrong. You've forgotten how forgiven you are. The heavy, heavy burden that we carry is the glory of God to the world. He says, I am the Lord your God who delivered you. I am worthy. Fill yourself with me and no idols will come between us. Lift up my name for it's worthy in all the earth. We sang that this morning, I think. 
Lift up my name in all the earth. And the fourth one is door. The door. Enter my rest. That's our salvation point. When we choose to step in and rest in his finished work, we become what we call saved. We have a misconception of saved. We think saved is from hell. It is. Sorry. It is. But it's not just saved from hell. It is so much more. When we rest in him, we receive everything that he has for us in the promised land. Our promised land, the New Testament promised land in the Old Testament is actual place. A physical, it still is a physical place where they're trying to get. But in the New Testament, it says the only thing you're supposed to fear. And God's always fear not, fear not, fear not. But then he says, fear this, that you don't enter my rest. Because when we don't enter his rest, we are either lost or we forget his rest and we become ineffective. So I am the Lord your God. Fill yourself with me. Lift up my name on the earth and rest in my finished work. And then grace. Then I will be this hinge point. I will open the door, open the window. I'll flow through you. The first four are vertical. Then there's the hinge. Then look out the window and you have a new perspective. And the last ones will flow out vertically in our ministry of reconciliation to the world. We will, be give, we will be life givers instead of murderers. We will be promise keepers instead of adulterers. We will be content in a fulfilled life instead of covetous. We will be truth tellers instead of liars. Do we do these last ones on our own? No. We need the grace of God, that hinge point. And where do we, get the, where do we come to that hinge point? From the first four. It'd be kind of like that video if she's standing out there on her own and she completed the song. That'd be good, you know. I'm sure people in that audience would have clapped. It was great. Good. We still don't know her name, do we? It's the first four. It's the fact that Whitney Houston walked out on the stage and stood beside her and became visible to the world. When, G when the world sees Jesus in us, then those first four become evident to the world by our behaviors, by our actions. But those actions are impossible by... Uh, but for us on our own. Yeah, most, a lot of sermons are preached on how to do these things. In fact, this, this first Peter, uh, second Peter that we just read, there's that one whole passage in there that says, add to this, this, and add to this, this, add to this. You, you know what I'm talking about? Add to goodness. I forget what they are. <laughs> but there's this whole list of things we're supposed to add. The verses before it say God has already given that to us. The verses after it say you already have it. And the diligent part is being diligent to let them flow out of you. You already have one through four. He doesn't go back and say, oh, and remember, goodness was one of those. And uh, see, I can't remember. Patience was one of those. I can't remember them because they will flow effortlessly through you when you have the first four. He doesn't preach. He doesn't say, I'm going to die and I want you to remember don't forget to add this to this. And if you don't, you're going to be you'll, you'll be separated from God and you need to rededicate your life. He, he, he doesn't say that. 
He says, this is what you have and who you are. Remember it. Don't forget it. Have a good opinion of God. Share that opinion with the world and walk with that confidence. Don't be afraid of Scar. Think about who you are. Go back and reign. That's what you were created for. The last one is let not your heart be troubled. This is John 14, 1 to 3. He says, let not your heart be troubled. I think this one's up there. Don't worry or surrender to fear. For you've believed in God. Now trust and believe in me also. My father's house has many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Don't let your heart be troubled. What does Jesus leave with us? It's not in that chapter. I just jumped. Jesus, he's about to leave earth. What does he say? You guys know it, right? My peace, I leave with you. My shalom. My peace. In English, it's uh, not a complete word. Uh, I mean, what I mean by that is that it doesn't express the complete meaning. Peace is greater than that. Uh, for example, when Jesus is walking on his way to... Uh, Jarius' house to heal his daughter, and uh, the woman with the issue of blood comes and touches his hem, and he turns around. He says to her, uh, your faith has made you well, and then he says, go in peace and receive your healing. In English, that's really confusing. Like, if you already got well, what are you going to receive beyond that? But the first word is sozo, and the last word is shalom. So you've received... Your physical healing, now receive your wholeness. Go in peace. Go in peace. When we let our hearts be troubled, we don't have peace. Not because we don't have it, but because we're not walking in it. He gave it to us, so it's ours. You don't have to pray for peace. It's yours. You have it. But you do need to step into it. You need to guard your heart against anything that would come to disturb that peace. Yeah. It's really difficult to walk in grace when you're troubled yourself. I mean, I went through that exercise this morning. I don't usually teach in environments like this, so I'm a little nervous, like, okay, let not your heart be troubled. I'm going to talk about that this morning. I need to think about that. Guard your heart. All right, what am I afraid of? Start listening. Okay, check them off. All right, let not your heart be troubled. Then two minutes later, you start that process all over again. <laughs> I time you up here, you're like, all right, well, it is what it is, right? <laughs> he is going to speak through me. How can you mess up grace? Right? My disqualifications are my qualifications. So, yeah, by the time you've done that whole reasoning, you're just like, oh, okay. So those are the five hows. Have a good opinion of God, and remember, he has a good opinion of you. Go to the throne of grace with boldness. Remember, your priest is in the order of Melchizedek. Don't forget that you are forgiven. Walk free of the law, and don't let your heart be troubled. Now, from that, we get five results. What time am I supposed to? Go for it. Five results. 
first one is victory. I want to use Gideon as an example of this. You all know the story of Gideon. Probably it's pretty familiar. He's the guy that had the big army and then God made him shrink it. Do you remember that? Not yes, no. Gideon, okay. Gideon was a, ju- a judge. And uh, so here's Gideon and, the, and Jesus shows up to him. It says an angel of the Lord. It's, it's Jesus in an in a, uh, appearance in the Old Testament. And he shows up to him and he says, you're a mighty man of valor. <laughs> and of course, Gideon argues with him. <laughs> no, I, I'm not. By the end of that conversation, Gideon is saying, will you wait here while I go get a covenant meal? In other words, will you bond with me? Will you put your arm around me? Will you hold me close? Jesus says, absolutely. So he goes and gets the covenant meal. He brings it back. Jesus extends his staff and it is consumed. And then he disappears. And then he begins to give him instructions. Go and tear down the idols of your father. Interesting though, between the first things that Gideon is told to do and that final appearance with Jesus there in the, uh, at the wine press, it says he builds an altar to the Lord. And he gives that altar a name. He calls it peace. So through the process of that conversation and that covenant meal, realizing who he's been talking to, having a good opinion of him, having been reminded that God has a good opinion of himself, he rests in peace. And he says, okay, now I know he puts out the fleece. We all know about that, right? Like, that's okay. God, God doesn't get upset with that. He gives him his answers. He even sends a, a dream to the, to, the, uh, to the enemy army. And Gideon didn't ask for that. But when Gideon hears the dream, he's encouraged. Gideon walked in grace, empowered by the presence of God in his life. And he was victorious. And he was victorious with 300 men. But the thing of it is, where his real victory lie were in his weapons. He had an earthen vessel. He gave one to each of them. Take this earthen vessel. Take this lantern. Put the lantern inside the earthen vessel. And then take your trumpet. So they're going out to war. They've got the earthen vessel with the light and the trumpet. Gideon's at peace. I don't know about the rest of them, but Gideon's at peace. And he says, when we get out there, we're going to spread out in three. We're, we're going to, we're, the, the dream said one loaf of barley. Barley represents the Holy Spirit. One, one, they present as one, but they go three directions. So he's in the power of the triune God. And he has these weapons. And he is at peace. And he says, do what I do. And he breaks the, the vessel. And when he breaks the vessel, the light shines out. And when the light shines out, the enemy thinks, oh, there's so many of them, so much power. And then they blow the trumpet. They, the gospel goes forth. He's at peace. And he allows himself to, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is the, is the uh, 
substance of Gideon's earthen vessel. In this earthen vessel, we have these treasures, and we will shine out into the darkness and be a light for the world. That's Christ in us, the Spirit in us. And the more broken we are, the more spaces the light has to flow out. I'm not encouraging you to be broken. I'm not encouraging you to go break yourself. That's not the point. The point is that we are. So shine on. Don't stress about the brokenness. Release the light. Just release it. So the first result is we walk in victory. The second result is that we fulfill our calling. Our calling is a ministry of reconciliation to the world. Right? We've been made new for that reason. To reconcile the world back to him. So think about Zacchaeus. Actually, think about the chapter before. There's two chapters right next to each other, designed by the Holy Spirit. First one is the rich young ruler. Jesus is the main player in both stories. He comes to the rich young ruler, or the rich young ruler comes to him and says, what must I do to be saved? He comes under law. What must I do? Jesus answers him in law. You know, we, why doesn't he give the evangelical answer? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He doesn't. The man doesn't come to him under grace. He comes to him under law. He says, what must I do? Jesus answers, keep the law. Man says, I already do. Jesus responds with grace, says he loved the man. And then he asks him to do something that the man can't do for whatever reason. So Jesus is showing him that he can't. And then he says, but follow me. Follow me. He opens the door. Follow me. The man walks away sad. So if we read the law to keep it, we're going to walk away sad, hopeless, until we find Christ. But the next chapter, Jesus is walking through town, looks up in a tree and says, Zacchaeus, come on down. Zacchaeus right away knows a couple of things. He knows that Jesus knows his name. And he knows that Jesus wants to spend time with him. Jesus just convicted him of righteousness before he was saved, right? He's saying, this is who I'm seeing you to be. He goes to his house. There is nothing said about anything he's supposed to do. There's no conversation recorded where Jesus takes him in the back room and says, okay, the party's been fun, but listen. There's some things that just, you know, aren't measuring up. Nothing. From spending time in the presence of the Lord, from understanding that he's known by name, from understanding that Jesus wants to spend time with him, Zacchaeus comes to an understanding of who Jesus is, who he is for him, and immediately begins the outflow of reconciliation. And voluntarily says, I will pay back four times. We fulfill our destiny when we walk in grace. The other thing is, we, the, the third thing is that people will say that we are different. First Peter chapter three, Peter says, when people ask you why you're different, be prepared to have an answer. That means that people are going to ask you why you're different because you are walking in grace. And so you will be different and you'll be light in a shiny, that the light of God will shine out from you and people will notice 
and people will want what you have. Religion isn't going to shine out from you. Then people won't want what you have. Okay, when Moses came down the mountain, people ran from him. When Jesus comes down from the mountain, the people go to him. The fourth one is that the power of the vine will flow through us effortlessly. We are the branches, he's the vine. And his power will flow through us. And it will be without effort. The branch doesn't stress to provide. He doesn't bear fruit with pain and labor. It will flow through you. Philippians 2 is a good example of this. Philippians 2 is this chapter that gets preached on a lot. And uh, it's the chapter where it says, uh, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And so it's, it's Jesus saying, this is who I am. I became a servant. I became willing to die. And then God's lifting me up. He's made me a name above all names. Every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. That's great. Then it says, therefore. Now, this is usually preached like a totally different topic. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. We just went from name above all names, victory, to this list of things that seem really difficult. But the reality is that grace is that hinge point. When we understand who he is and we rest in that, then the window of grace opens to us. We walk in it. And we don't have to be petty. We don't have to get mad about stuff. We don't have to get upset. Now, I'm not saying I, you know, I'm not saying I do this, right? When, when I do get upset, what do I have to do? Return to grace. I remember three R's. Remember, uh, remember who I am. Rest in it. And when I forget, return. Repent, uh, repentance in Hebrew means return to the grace, return to the cross. That's what I have to continuously do. Repent. Repent just change your mind. That's the Greek. Change your mind. Hebrew, return to the cross. So I'm changing my mind from, oh, yikes. You just disqualify. No, wait a minute. Remember who he is, who he says I am. Remember he says I am the Lord your God. Fill yourself with me. Rest in me and I will flow from you. Okay. I'll do it. I'll pick that microphone up. I'll square my shoulders and I'll sing. And even if I'm off key, I won't get a glance from you. I mean, th there's a spot in there. If you have a good music ear where they're kind of off. And you don't see anything on Whitney Houston's face that would say condemnation. Nothing. So even when we're not good enough, when we don't measure up, there isn't any condemnation. She pulls her closer looks directly in her eyes and says, I will always love you. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> the last one is that we will be established. The last result. We won't be up and down with the wind, up and down with the circumstances of life. We won't be confused. We will have this peace in us that guides us. It's our no-go gauge, I call it, you know. If I feel God pressing in, then you move. If you feel nothing, don't move. 
But you don't have to carry the weight of it. You don't have to be like, I'm supposed to be doing something. That's me. That's typically me. I'm supposed to be doing something. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm supposed to be resting and let God work. You know, I have a little saying, when God works, or when I work, God rests. When I rest, God works. That doesn't mean to be lazy and don't do anything, but in the process of working, you're at rest. There are no, no, chairs in the, uh, no chairs in the temple. The priests did their work. They didn't sit down. But they also didn't sweat. Because they wore the linen of the righteousness. And that should be us. We can rest. So being established so we don't go up and down with the world and be like everybody else, worried about this, worried about that. My encouragement to you as you try to uh, remember these things and just rest in him is don't place yourself in positions where you have to guard your heart at a really high level. Like turn the news off. Yeah. Just turn it off. I haven't had a TV in 30 years. It wasn't a moral decision. We couldn't get reception. <laughs> no. But I am so grateful because I go into other... Other homes or even, even our staff come in talking about what they heard on the radio on the way in. And da, 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 da. I'm just like. <sighs> it's a good day. Can you imagine if God did the news? What if Jesus did the news? Yeah. Hurricane Florence. Yeah. It's going to be a strong hurricane come in. Was it a hurricane? Yeah. It's going to be a hurricane. Well, I mean, it could have been. Some other kind of storm. It's, it's, a, it's a hurricane and it's going to come. And you will come out of it stronger. Wealthier. With more peace in your life. You will be better for it. I didn't bring it. But I'm going to use it. Yeah. And if you live where Florence happened... You step back and you relax. You make preparation. You, you leave if you're evacuated. You board up your windows. You do whatever you do. And then you let God be God. And you rest. And let the rest of us worry. People in, you know, <laughs> Thailand or wherever are probably listening to the news going, oh, those poor people in Florence. And we're worried about the people over wherever. We aren't designed for that. We aren't designed to carry the worries of the world. That's God's job. We're designed to remember who we are, and to reign in his power. Amen. I want to close by uh, playing that video one more time. It's just a couple minutes. Only this time I want you to look at it. Remember who you are. Remember who Whitney Houston is. <laughs> and just feel it rise up in you. How do we walk in grace?
Can we uh, just first honor Lori and her gift? Thank you. Stand with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask you right now to help us remember how forgiven we are. Help us walk in your grace, Holy Spirit. God, we can't even do that in our own power if we want to do it in your power. Help us be reminded. Or those of us that we're we're believers. God, that you've already done this miracle, this miracle work of transforming our spirit. And we're not the old person that we were, but we're a new creation. But yet, God, we're still hanging on. We're hanging on and we're being driven by sin nature. Remind us that we're forgiven. We would not walk in that old way. We would walk the new life that you've provided, Jesus. And God, I pray that you would help us as we walk in that. We'd go into this world and we would give it away. God, that the message of the gospel, the message of us being reconciled back to you, not because of what we can do to earn our way back, but just simply because of what you have done, Jesus, God, help us give that away to others. Help our lives be a reflection of that. If you're here today and you're struggling with that, you're a believer, you love, you love the Lord, you love God, but you're struggling with that. I just want you to just release that right now. Would you just everybody do this with me? Just... Put your hands out in front of you like this with your palms up. Just as a physical representation of what you're doing with your heart right now. And you, you're carrying this load. You're carrying this weight. You're carrying your sin. It's not for you to carry. It's, it's forgiven. And I just want you to right now at this moment, just as an act of faith, just turn your hands over like this and say, it's not mine. It's not mine. It's not mine. I let go of it. It's not mine. And I want you to turn your palms back up. Empty-handed. You ready to receive grace? You ready to receive everything, every good gift that the Father has for you? Jesus, we receive everything that you've provided for us through the cross, through the resurrection. Holy Spirit, we thank you. You come alongside us. Jesus, you come alongside us. You empower us. You cheer us on to be who you've called us to be and to do what you've called us to do. We thank you. Help us see ourselves the way that you see us. In Jesus' name. If you're here today and you're not a believer and you want to be, there's not some magical thing that has to take place in order for you to just, you know, for it to happen. But oftentimes we, we pray a prayer together, a believer's prayer. It's just a, as a beginning point for you to walk across that threshold and saying, I want to do this. 
The Bible says this. There's just two things you got to do. And it's, it's not, you know, a, a work or an act. It's a belief and a confession. Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Confess that God raised him from the dead. That's it. If that's you today, you want to believe and you want to confess, we invite you to do this right now. And everybody just pray this after me. And again, this is for those of us, some of us, this is just affirmation of what we already know and believe and confess. Heavenly Father, I come to you. I surrender my life to you. I believe, Jesus, that you are Lord. Be the boss of my life. I believe that God raised you from the dead. And I ask now for that same power that raised you from the dead to come live inside of me and change me from the inside out. I surrender to your lordship. You're the boss. And it's my pleasure to follow you. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your empowerment. I ask you to help me make a difference with my life. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a big hand clap.